0: Thanks for tuning in to the Sermon Podcast from Reformation Lutheran Church. Our readings this week are from Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 8, 17 through 22, 26 through 34, and chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. And the Gospel reading is from Luke 6, verses 31 through 36. Thanks for listening. God bless. Good morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Robert Frost wrote this poem. It's called A Servant to Servants. Some of you may know it. He wrote it over a hundred years ago. The poem recounts the deep longing of a woman whose work and responsibilities in a rural area has left her unfulfilled. She washes dishes and stares out at the lake. She cooks and cares for men working on the land and distracts herself with thoughts of a lost love, her pained family history, and the limitations of her existence. It's not the life she had dreamed of, and while she may have had some regrets, she is resigned to push on, fulfilling her role. Robert Frost writes, From cooking meals for hungry hired men and washing dishes after them, from doing things over and over that just won't stay done. By good rights, I ought not to have so much put on me. But there seems no other way. Len says, one steady pull, more ought to do it. He says, the best way out is always through. This last line has been swimming in my head for these last few months. As so many of us have expressed feelings of being overwhelmed and anxious and upset and frustrated, how can we move forward? How can we hold on to one another in trying times? The best way out is always through. When we face problems and disagreements or interpersonal conflict, sometimes our first reaction is to ignore the issue, blame others, Focus on the wrong that's been done to us. That usually makes the problem worse, right? We've learned, I hope. We can let it linger, though, until there's no good resolution left to find. Or when it comes to relationships, we hold grudges. We just can't seem to get over ourselves. And we dig in our heels and the distance between ourselves, our families, our neighbors, our friends only grows You'd think that followers of Jesus would not get caught in these traps. We know that command from our Lord to love others as I have loved you, to love your neighbors as yourselves, to pray for those who persecute you, and even love your enemies. We have this gift, this ministry of reconciliation and forgiveness, and we ought to be the ones who reflect the mercy and grace of God in our lives. But guess what? We're sinners. You are. I am. We're selfish at times and weak and jealous and vindictive and spiteful and shameful. And newsflash, I am. You are. Everyone is. Why? We just heard the story a couple of weeks ago of the fall. Maybe that's the reason, right? When the first earthlings doubted God's word and tried to grasp for themselves the power to know good from evil, We're part of that family. Maybe the world has made us cold and hard-hearted and we must think we have to fight for everything we have and never let our guard down. Maybe we're modeling behavior that we saw from a young age in our families of origin and we carry those behaviors around with us. Everybody's got fooey That's family of origin issues. Fooey, you got some, don't you? Without being humbled and healed ourselves, we may become ones who hurt others too. I love all my four kids. I don't have a favorite. Uh, They're all unique and wonderful in their own ways, and they all have things to learn, of course. I dream about who they will be, how they will become, and in, in the ways in which they will build the world around them and survive and thrive in the future, and I see how they relate to each other and the ways they play and sometimes cause friction and conflict as well. Knowing that I grew up as the oldest of five siblings, and I recognize that reality of sibling rivalry very well. We do not all get along all the time. So to hear that Israel, that's Jacob, the father, loved Joseph more than all his other children, to begin the story off with a clue as to how things will go. Last week, we heard this promise to Abram, right? That God would make of him a great nation. And as the story unfolds in this book, we wonder how God is going to bring it to reality despite multiple setbacks, confusion, frustration. Isaac faced challenges and his sons struggled as well as we follow the story and keep wondering, how's God going to do this? Joseph's story, and it's really about so much more than Joseph, of course, is this continued story of family struggle, favoritism, and jealousy, and greed, and loss, and grief. Not so foreign to us, is it? The story is dramatic, right? And Whether we envision ourselves in the role of the father, the brothers, or Joseph himself, we might see how no matter what we face, God is always present, to bring to birth the promise of new life. So the brothers are out there working, we hear in the story, to do the hard labor, gathering up the wheat while Joseph, in his special coat, stays at home. The coat has long sleeves. It's notes that it's not for outside work. He's set apart, the child of his father's old age. Joseph's older brothers resented him even before he told them about his dream you know, where they'd bow down to him. Joseph knows very little about sheaves in the first place, but he goes out to check on the brothers, tells them this dream. They interpret the dream correctly to say that he would have authority over them. If we look back in the story, we remember it was Jacob who tricked his father, took authority and wealth and power away from his older brother in his lifetime. So we find that generational trauma being passed down. His brothers at first plan to kill Joseph. Of course, they know this story of their father. They know what's possible and they are afraid. So perhaps they wanna prevent themselves from being left out of the family inheritance. They're really mad at their dad who showed such favoritism to this one son. They can imagine how the loss of this precious son will break his heart for good. Well, Reuben speaks up, this voice of reason and saying, they should not kill him, just leave him in the pit. And then Reuben maybe planned to go back and rescue him. Judah gets the idea to profit, profit a little, sell their brother to some passing traders. Reuben comes back and he weeps for the loss of his brother. And yet he goes along with the plan to report his death to his father. And the father weeps too. There's weeping all around this story. And the future seems so broken and the promise we just heard seems so far away. We know that in our lives when the trauma of past generations catches up with us and we become afraid of being left out, we are cut off from ones who have been entrusted to us. We can feel that promise of the past slipping away. We can feel the dreams within us dying. And the impulse is just to give up, burn that bridge. Why would we seek to restore relationship with the ones who have hurt us so deeply? Why would we choose to remain in conversation with the people who disagree with us? Why would we continue to fight for something that seems so out of reach? The only way out is through We've all been through so much just these past five months, but even more than that, right? For our relationships, for our families, for our church, for our nation, the only way out of our problems is to do the work, to pick up the phone, to connect to one another, to be in relationship, to have grace-filled conversations about our differences and disagreements and disappointments. And we have been given this command to do to others as we would have them do to us. So it's not too much to ask for us to be the ones who break through cultural norms, who rise above challenges and to trust in the power of God to bring good from the setbacks we face. We hear this in Joseph's story so deeply. Things go from bad to worse. He's trafficked into slavery he gets unjustly accused and thrown into prison. He could have just given up, kept his mouth shut, and forgotten all his strange dreams. But the only way out of his trouble was to go through it. And God always makes a way. So Joseph interprets the dreams of Pharaoh and finds himself in a place of power to follow through on this mission that God has given him. He helps store up food for Egypt. He rescues his family from the famine. Even after the death of his father, even after the hurt they have caused him, he forgives. He brings reconciliation. And the dream is still alive. It's not by his own initiative or or skills or even his naivety, which he seems to be that for sure, or just failing upward. Joseph has trusted in God and God has equipped him for this moment. God has equipped us as well. As we face struggles today that we never thought we'd have to overcome in our time, families are divided over politics, disease taking the lives of nearly one million people worldwide, the persistent evil of racism, economic hardships, violence, unrest and lack of justice, Frost writes, by good rights, I ought not have so much put on me. I've been feeling that one, too. So many are hurting, and we are cumbered with a load of care. Where can we take it? Still, God has promised abundance, mercy, forgiveness, and peace. And we are still here, still going. God's promises are always coming true and we don't do anything by our own power but by the spirit of God in us so we do not give up. Sometimes we find ourselves in a pit and the dream is still alive. Sometimes we are shackled and carried away but the dream is still alive. Sometimes we are imprisoned by our own fears and the dream is still alive. But this is not about our dreams. God's dream comes to us on the cross for us and for the world to see this favored and beloved son given up to death to free every child of God from sin and death and the power of evil in the world and to awaken the power of life in each of us. God's dream for us so palpable, so present in the living word of Jesus is that we would not be jealous siblings looking to get our own way, not children whining and complaining we didn't get our fair share, not self-righteous or self-satisfied or self-focused at all, but merciful servants who give of themselves, who do what is needed and necessary for the sake of the ones God loves so much. We have been lifted up with him, taken out of the shame and pain of our own sin and brought to this new place, call it the kingdom of God, where we get to share the love and mercy and grace so freely given to us. We believe the promise is true. We believe in the one who gives the promise. And we get to speak words of healing and share the promises of God with our friends, our children, our grandchildren, And we get to believe in that constant presence of the love of the divine that never leaves us where we are but transforms us and gives us power not to get our way or to oppress others but to show them the way and to express to others how God's promises are coming true here still today. Amen.